If you want to support the show, the best way you can is through any of the books or current ongoing Vela shorts that are being released on a regular basis. The easiest way to find this is to go to bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, and you'll have links there to everything. All of my Kindle books are available for free. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to pay anything. You get it with your subscription. You can read them all. They're all in screenplay format. That includes Swan Song, The Muses, Duet, In the End. Our past does not define us. Anything else that I've written that's available on Kindle, it's available there. You can buy a soft cover if you want. Uh, there's a hardcover collection of all of the Swan Song books all combined into one. That's available as a hardcover. You can pre-order Echo Alpha, which is coming out in November. All of these things are available if you go uh, on Amazon. But quick link, if you go bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, I have them all there nice, easily cataloged. Also, down toward the bottom, we have the Kindle Vela content. Uh, the first three episodes are always free. And then after that, um, there's a token system that you can use to... to you know, read. Even if you don't like it, just give it a thumbs up. Uh, that way we can get it up higher so more people see it. So one final time, that's bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. And every Wednesday, there's a new Vela book that goes up. Taser and Acrobat, Nanite and Rosebud, Tales from Another World, and The Alchemist and the Illusionist. All go up on Wednesdays, and it's all available on uh, Kindle Vela. All of this is available bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. Sorry to overload the front, but before we start, one final thing. If you can please go on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you listen, and give us a five-star rating, that would mean a lot. We're trying to get on to uh, Rotten Tomatoes and sites like that, and we need to get more reviews to be accepted. So if you can go on and give us a five-star review there, that would be amazing. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we appreciate everything you guys do when you listen. Welcome to Beware of Spoilers. I am Adam. Let's discuss Halloween Kills, the 35th entry into the Halloween franchise, which is a franchise that has probably the most confusing timeline of any horror fran- franchise. Now, uh, just a, a quick overview of how this goes. Um, there was a 1978 Halloween, which then went to Halloween 2, Halloween 4, 5, 6. Um... That's one timeline. Then there's also 78, then 2, then uh, H2O and Resurrection. So that's timeline 2. Then there's timeline 3, which is the one that this most recent one is in, which is the original, and then 2018, and now Halloween Kills. There's the Rob Zombie reboot, and then there's the completely unrelated Halloween 3 from 1982, which is the uh, anthology movie when John Carpenter felt like getting experimental with this. Um, So... I've seen most of the movies. I have not seen the Rob Zombie remake from 2007 or its sequel. Uh, I have not seen Season of the Witch, which is Halloween 3 from 1982, which is completely unrelated. Um, But I have seen all of the others. Yeah, all of the others. Um, And I think that Halloween is the strongest of the 80s slasher franchises. 
Um, I think it's it's definitely stronger than Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and most consistent. Um, this movie just I think is my least favorite of all of them at this point, and that includes of the ones I've seen. I can't attest for um, Halloween Three or for uh, season or for the Rob Zombie remake. And number one, let's address the elephant in the room. They recast Tommy. Tommy was famously played by, well, a kid in his first appearance, but in the second appearance, um, he play he was played by Paul Rudd in his first acting gig in a movie. Um, this movie was shot before Clueless, but Clueless was released first. Uh, Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers is uh, Paul Rudd's first movie he shot. So that would be, he played Tommy there, uh, protecting, um, Laurie's cousin. I don't remember the family relation. There was a Nordic ruin involved, and the movie's a complete clusterfuck, but an entertaining clusterfuck, to say the least. Um, meanwhile, here we have this movie, which is like, you know, I, I understand why they didn't bring back Paul Rudd. Number one, he'd be expensive. Number two, he'd be distracting because you're like, oh, that's Paul Rudd, in the same way that you don't really have that for any of the other actors or actresses in this movie. Like, Judy Greer is there, but it's not. she's not someone who will take you out of the movie. Um, you have, um, like, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis reprises, but again, she's been in this movie forever, and I think that bringing in Paul Rudd would have been a distraction. And I also think that the role that Tommy plays in this movie would not lend itself to Paul Rudd. Like, I don't think Paul Rudd could have... I, I think he could have pulled it off, but I don't think you'd have to completely rework what the character does in this movie, where he kind of leads a vigilante group to try and kill Michael Myers. That's that's his goal in this movie. Um, and ultimately, that subplot kind of feels misguided, kind of like they're trying to pad screen time. It feels like ultimately what happened was they had, like... The first movie planned out, and they knew that the third movie was going to be Laurie facing off against Michael Myers, and that there had to be a catalyzing event at the end of this movie to lead into the third movie. But they needed to come up with something that would happen in this to to get to that point. They couldn't just have the Michael Myers plot going through, um, so they needed to pad the runtime. Because this is a short movie; it's like one forty-five, so they needed to. Like, if they cut out all the stuff with the, the vigilante mob, then this movie would have been a lot shorter and not a feature. So it feels like it's there because they needed to pad it up to be a feature. But I think that this is not the way to do it. So, uh, the kills aren't great either, which is something that you want from a slasher, is just, you know, do the best you can. Like, I, I think that that was the thing about, like, say, The Invisible Man, which is another Blumhouse production that I really liked, where it's, you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of moments that take you by surprise. Nothing in this movie takes you by surprise. There's nothing here that, you know, is scary, to say the least. And I feel, and early on in the movie, there's something that really kind of was off-putting that Michael Myers does, which is like, and not off-putting in a way, like, oh, that's gross. It's like, you know, seeing him take on all of the firefighters, like, and kill them all, it's like, well, that, that doesn't feel like the character we've seen up until this point. And I know this is the 97th Halloween movie, and really only two of them are canon up until this point, but you can't pretend the others didn't happen. And it's like, it kind of wants to pretend the others didn't happen, but also have little winks and nods to them. 
like the entire end of this movie when Michael Myers gets back up after being like what would kill a man like if we're being completely honest in terms of beating um and stabbing and all of that like that that comes from curse of Michael Myers which is something there the movie shows a flashback to a time that um Jimmy Lee Curtis uh Laurie managed to pull the mask up off of Michael Myers' face, but that's from Halloween 2, which isn't canon to this movie. Um, which is, a, like, it, it's one of those things where, like, it's such a big plot point about taking them, un- unmasking the man, that they don't, like, it's, it's bizarre that that doesn't get, you know, that, I, I don't understand how that fits in. And then if we're going to address the ending of the movie, uh, I think that this is, the biggest failing of the movie. And for a movie that likes to reference the non-canon, there was a way to end this in a way that would have been interesting. Now, if you remember 4, which is the first movie with, I think her name is Danielle Harris, as Jamie, um, where Michael Michael Myers is trying to kill her, and he goes, you know, and, and she ends up, you know, falling into his like, into his patterns at the end of the movie by, by, uh, killing, um, I don't remember who it was, he, her, the adopted mother, I think, I don't remember, but I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but in, if that's where you're going with this, if you're gonna go with, you know, where this movie ends, and it's like they have the voiceover from Laurie about, like, oh, and, you know, you can't kill it, and the entire time you see it, you have Judy Greer standing over and watching what's happening, and Judy Greer kind of mirrors what she does, what Michael Myers does, where it's like, you know, standing, like, then she picks up the knife, stabs Michael Myers, goes back into the house, and is looking at the window. I think that having him come back to life, kill everyone, and then go up and kill her, wouldn't have been the best way to end this movie. I think the better way to end this movie, and then go into a third, would have been for um, Judy Greer, who plays Karen, for her, like, to end on that note where she picks up the mask and is standing at the window. And it's like, that would play into the thing where it's like, you can't kill him, he thrives on fear, and it's like, it's just a part of people in this family. And I think that would have been a more interesting story to see Laurie have to go after her own daughter and stop her own daughter from becoming Michael Myers fully, than, than going and try to redeem her, because that's not the woman she is. I think that would have been a better story for three than a typical face-off, and this is something we've seen before. We saw it in, in, in Resurrection, not Resurrection, in 20. Um, like, I, I feel like there was a better way to, to, to end this movie that wasn't quite as silly, I guess, um, in a way, where it's like, you know, it, to an extent, these slashes have always gotten off on a supernatural element to them, um, because of the supernatural element to them, I think that you have to have this, like, if you look at, like, even Friday the 13th, where number one is very kind of grounded in a way, where the killer is, the the cafeteria lady who's upset that her son died, and then the the ending of the movie with Jason coming out of the lake 
can almost be thought to be a dream where she doesn't remember and no one around her is like, yeah, that, that happened. And the fact that she's alive after being dragged into the lake tells you that it's maybe it didn't actually happen. So there's that. And then there is, um, like, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street is very much um, very supernatural about this guy who was burned to death and is now living in dreams. Like, But from then on in, in, in Friday the 13th, it's like Jason can never die. Jason goes to space. Um, like, it, it gets silly. Um, I think that what you had the chance to do and what really the first Halloween did that this movie could have played into more is the evil in the man not taking this man, turning him into a caricature, and then turning him into a monster. I feel like that was that's a failing of this movie. Um, I did not enjoy this movie. I did not find it entertaining. I did not find it fun. There were times where I wanted to turn it off, but I didn't, uh, and I regret that decision. Um, so... You can watch it on Peacock. It's on the $5 tier. It's very, like, if you want to do that, you can do that. If not, it's not a huge deal if you wait for home media or if you wait for um, cable. Like, I wouldn't watch this in theaters. Like, it's not something that I would be like, let me rush out to a theater to watch this movie. It's not that good. I mean, it's not good at all. Um... Which is a shame, because you, you've had 183 Halloween movies before this point, and you, you know what works and you know what doesn't, on top of the fact there's an entire genre at this point of slasher films, where you know what works and you know what doesn't, between, you know, the ones I've listed, then Sleepaway Camp, then um, Slumber Party Massacre, then, you know, th there's there are tons of movies, Scream even, um there are tons of movies that you can use as a template to look at and be like, okay, these worked, these didn't, but they just didn't do that. So, on that note, we will wrap up um, later today. I will have a review of Hard Luck Love Song. Um, later this week, we have Dune. So that's going to be cool. Uh, tomorrow is the DC Fandom wrap-up show. Um, I have a guest coming in for that. And I think that's it. I think that is it. Um, so until the next episode, have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bit.ly slash BOS contact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30minutereviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, so if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover, go to bitbit.ly slash contact and also email us 30minutereviews at gmail.com.